0: So, a little disclaimer, uh, my goal by the end is uh, for all of you to hate me. I I gotta be honest, Uh, that's what I'm hoping for. No, um, I I do want to say up front that uh, what I said last week is uh, I'm I'm a Jesus guy, I'm a Bible guy, and so uh, while I have my political side of the aisle, my political side of the fence um, when it comes to conversations, for me, uh, about God and politics and faith and politics and our country and faith and wh- how, how we sort of um, co-mingle those things and figure out you know, what gets priority and all that stuff, uh, I'm always going to default to the scriptures. I'm always going to default to Jesus. And, so, uh, and, and with that said, um, I, I, think, I, I think there's probably going to be some parts today that might be a little uncomfortable. Uh, they're uncomfortable for me. Um, But I I think um, if you don't read the scriptures and feel uh, at least a little bit uncomfortable, sometimes uh, you're you're probably reading them wrong. So once upon a time, uh, there were no Democrats, there were no Republicans, there was no Constitution, no Bill of Rights, there was no religious liberty, there was no First Amendment rights or Second Amendment rights. There was just an empire, there was just Rome, a a place that had been a republic, that had transitioned into an empire under the leadership of Caesar Augustus, the very first emperor of Rome. In, In just a few weeks, we're all going to be hearing and speaking and reading his name, but not because of his story though, but because... As Caesar Augustus ruled there was a baby born in Judea in Bethlehem and the unthinkable would happen it it seemed virtually impossible but the life and the fame of that Jewish baby would eventually overshadow the fame and the renown of that Roman Emperor in fact The name and the fame of that Jewish baby would eventually overshadow and eclipse the fame of every single emperor of the entire Roman Empire. And he would stand against the injustice of that empire. And he would defy the hypocrisy and the power of corrupt corrupt and oppressive religion. And he would teach that we're to love our neighbor and maybe even more radically, we're to love our enemies. That we're to forgive everyone. And eventually he'd be betrayed by a friend, condemned by religion, and be crucified by that empire. And in spite of all of that, today he's worshipped all over the world. And once upon a time, not long after that, Christians would gather early in the morning on the first day of the week to celebrate that Jewish rabbi. And they would sing and they would worship God and they would pray together and they would share a story and maybe read from a fragment of a letter that they had received or from something that they had heard about from one of the eyewitnesses who saw Jesus face to face. And they would share what they had with each other and they would encourage each other and they would renew their devotion to one another and to the resurrected Messiah, to living their lives above reproach and to living with character and. Love and faith and hope. And in those little gatherings that took place in people's homes and under trees and in courtyards, you would find both masters and slaves. You'd find men and women and children and soldiers and farmers and merchants. You'd find Jews and Cretans and Gentiles and Greeks and Romans. And they lived by the life and the message of that Jewish rabbi. And they believed the most unbelievable things. They believed that God had come in the flesh and that he had come not just for a few or for some or even just for a nation, but that he had come for all of humanity, that the Messiah had come into the world for the whole world. And that because of God's love, every single human being had intrinsic, not assigned value. That it didn't matter where you were born or what ethnicity you were, what station or class of life you were born into, it didn't matter what religion or belief system your family was, that you could have access to God through Jesus. And so they too were betrayed by their friends, condemned by religion, persecuted by that empire, but their influence was contagious and spread like wildfire all over the world. And now, now it's our turn. Because one day, someday, our generation of Christianity will be a once upon a time story. And I wonder when we get there, what is the story that they're going to tell about us, about our generation? Now, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, first of all, man, that, this, that's why our church exists, is for people who struggle with faith, who haven't discovered, haven't stepped into faith in Jesus for themselves, who are skeptical, have questions. So we're really glad you're here. Um, but today, I'm going to spend most of my time talking to Christians and and while I, I usually do talk to Christians, some or part you know at least for a good chunk of my message, uh, I usually also talk to non-believers during my message. But today I'm gonna. So so if you're not a Christian, you're kind of off the hook. You you can just sort of go. This is awesome. He's not talking to me. This doesn't apply to me. I don't you know I'm not offended because he's not talking about me. So the the year was 1984. Ghostbusters, and the Karate Kid, and Gremlins were all in the movie theater. And, and Was anybody alive in 1984? Nice. All right. But who wasn't alive in 1984? Just, uh, okay. It's, it's about 60-40, all right? Uh, but Bruce Springsteen had released Dancing in the Dark. And Prince was singing when doves cry. Carl Lewis was setting the world on fire, winning gold medals at the 1984 Summer Olympic Games held in Los Angeles. And I was a plucky nine-year-old little boy. I know, I don't look that old, you guys. I look good. Although I was alive for two previous ones, that year was the first presidential election that I could ever remember. Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush running for re-election against Walter Mondale and Geraldine Ferraro. And I remember during that election cycle, my parents watching the news and watching the debates, and I remember how passionate they were about their candidate. And I remember them talking about all that was at stake and how historic it was. And I, I remember hearing about how it was the most important election of our lifetime, It turns out that wasn't that unique, though, because, well, that's been the case with every election since. Somehow, every election election of my entire life has been the most important election of our lifetime. At least that's what I've been told every single election. And this election, everybody's like, yeah, no, 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 but, but seriously, this one is different. It really is the most important election of our life, every election cycle. It seems like there's a group of people who are devastated because the world, or at least the country, is now doomed because the wrong person got elected. And there's also a group of people that's ecstatic because they think the world, or at least the country, is now saved because the right person got elected. But what if, what if both groups are entirely and completely wrong every single election? Because here's my question for you this morning, and the one that I'm going to, I hope just sticks in your craw a little bit, because this was a crazy week, right? This was a week full of ups and downs and uncertainty, but here's my question for you this morning. Why would you tie your level or any level of your personal peace to the whims of a political outcome, to something that's completely out of your control? Especially if you're a follower of Jesus. There's been so much hand-wringing this week and Admittedly, there's been a lot of uncertainty and it's been a lot, it's been stressful for everybody no matter how you voted. But, but I've watched so many people who are Christians and they're on both sides because I'm, I'm friends with people who love Jesus who are as blue as you can get. And I'm friends with people who love Jesus who are as red as you can get. But I've watched people who are on both sides who love Jesus freak out over the outcome of this presidential race. And, and like we talked about last week, it's mostly because they're afraid. They're afraid of what it will mean, what the outcome will mean for themselves and their kids and their country and their way of life if the other guy or the wrong guy in their view wins. Which is strange really for any of us to kind of feel that way, but especially for those of us who follow Jesus. Because here's the truth. Uncertainty in life is unavoidable. But being fearful is optional there's there's no avoiding uncertainty in fact it's certain that you're going to experience uncertainty that life will throw you curveball after curveball after curveball and you you're just gonna you're gonna think life is stable and then somebody's gonna come along and yank the rug out from it like uncertainty is unavoidable But you don't have to live in fear and worry and in anxiety because our savior, our boss, our master, the one who kicked off this whole thing was absolutely fearless. Now, I want to take you to a place in the scriptures that you may be familiar with, but maybe you never thought to process your political thoughts and your political feelings and even your political ideologies through the filter of these scriptures And I want to walk us through them and hopefully give you some things to kind of anchor your life and your hope and your emotions to. Found in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 1, is where we're going to start. It says this it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. So this is like the definition of faith. In fact, uh, this isn't even really a spiritual definition. This is just the, the very definition of faith. And we've all experienced, whether you believe in Jesus or not, you've all, we've all experienced faith because if you've ever had a job, you have lived by faith. Because you sat down and you went through an interview and they said, yeah, we'll give you the job and here's what you're going to get paid. And, and, and we'll pay you in two weeks or in a month or whatever. And you just, by faith... Went out and started working believing that the, the, the guy that said or the woman who said that they hired you and that you were hired and you were going to get paid, that you they were actually going to come through on their promise to actually pay you. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and it's assurance of what we do not see, that somebody's going to keep their promise. It's confidence and hope and assurance in who God is and what he's Said. See, for most of human history, Christians, Jesus followers, were known for being fearless and confident. They didn't fear illness or death or loss or the overwhelming power of the temple and religion or the oppressive power and brutal nature of the empire. They were fearless and confident. They didn't fear death or loss. And when you don't fear loss, you become compassionate and selfless and generous. And so when people talked about and when they thought about Christians, what immediately came to mind was that they were absolutely fearless, but also that they were confident. And and not in an arrogant way, but they lived their life with a confidence that came from their faith And they just seem to to, to have an assurance. They just seem to be sure about all the things that really mattered in life. And so here's the writer of Hebrews writing to a group of Jesus followers who at this point in their life, in this point in their story, were really struggling for all of the reasons I just said, because of the empire, because of religion. And and so he's he's writing to them to encourage them and to, to remind them of what faith actually looks like. So that, that's why he wrote that, that faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we don't see. But he goes on. In verse 2, he says this. He says, this thing, faith, this is what the ancients were commended for. So immediately, he starts connecting them to the larger stories, trying to get them to zoom out a little bit. Because like, we get so myopic, right? Like, this is the thing that matters. This is why my whole life People have always said, this is the most important election of our life. Because we just get so focused, we get so zoomed in, so myopic, we can't see past this election, and the writer's zooming these people out, and he's going, you're connected to a larger story. He's reminding them of where they came from. And so he goes all the way back, if you can go back and read it, we're going to skip a, a roundel here a little bit, but he goes all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament, and he starts talking in the next few verses about all the famous Old Testament people that you've probably heard of, especially if you've been in church for any length of time. He talks about Abraham, and Moses, and, and Moses, and Moses' mom, and Joseph, and He talks about people maybe you haven't heard of. And he says all of these people, this is what they were commended for, that they lived their life by faith. And so he actually defines what that looks like, right? He's like, this is what they were commended for, that living a life of faith is living life every single day as if God can be trusted. Look at what he says next. After he talks about some of the examples in verse 13, he says this. He said all of these people were still living by faith when they died. And they didn't receive the things that they had been promised. They only saw them and welcomed them or embraced them from a distance. They could only see that something was coming down the road and they didn't know when and they didn't know what. He says, "All these people who were living by faith, they were living that way when they died, and they didn't receive the thing that they were most looking forward to—the thing that, they, that that God had promised them." And, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But I don't know about you, but but for me, this passage of scripture, these couple of verses, are so challenging and so convicting to me. Because I mean, I pray on Monday, and if God hasn't answered by Thursday, I start kind of wondering, is He listening? Right, if he's even there, like okay, God, I know you're busy, so I'm gonna give you an extension till Friday. I don't know if you're really keeping up with what's going on in the world or not, but Amazon has same day delivery now, so might want to step up your game a little bit, increase those response times. Let's make this happen, Jesus. But we do that, right? Something bad happens, our prayer doesn't get answered the way that we want it to, or something truly horrific and world-ending happens, like, I don't know, say, the guy you voted for didn't win the election. And we go to pieces and we start freaking out and we need to be comforted. <laughs> and that group of people would be like, what? Are you kidding me? We lived our entire lives trusting God. And we never saw him come through on his promise, but we trusted him anyway. And then the author delivers what I think is just a giant gut punch. Look at what he says next. Chapter 11, verse 30, 36. He, some of, he says some of them, they face jeers and flogging. And it's easy for us to kind of like just read right past that. But flogging meant that they were beat with canes and whips. Some of these people, just for their faith, just for holding on to their pro- the promise that God had given them, they faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. He says they were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins and were destitute and persecuted and mistreated. Gotta say, it doesn't sound that great. And as he's writing this, at this moment he pauses and I imagine the author kind of looking up and in his mind his mind is racing through all of these people and all these stories he's mentioned and, and he's contemplating and thinking about all of, all of the things that they've been through and what their stories have meant and, and the struggle and, and how uh, that, that, that led up to the person of Jesus and now he's on the other side of Jesus and the resurrection and he's looking back at it all and he's thinking through all these people and all the dots that got connected to get to Jesus, to get to him and, and he... And, It's almost as if he's thinking, like, what if they had given up? What if their faith had gotten hijacked? What if if they had just said, you know what, it's just not happening, it's not working, he's not coming through. And and then he says in the very next verse, I think one of the most breathtaking things in all the scriptures. Chapter 11, verse 38, speaking of all of these men and women, he's just been telling their story. He says, the world was not worthy of them. Can I tell you something? There was once a version of our faith that was tough and gritty and resilient. There was once a version of our faith that produced heroic living. That stopped people in their tracks. That caused people to say, look, I don't necessarily buy into everything they believe, I don't get some of the things they do on the weekends, but there is something going on there with those people that are fearless and they're selfless and they're loving and they're gracious and they just don't get rattled by life no matter what happens. So a couple of verses later, he starts chapter 12 and this is where he kind of gets to you and me. So, uh, you know, kind of cue in, listen up. Hebrews 12 verse one, this is what he says. He says, therefore since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and what cloud of witnesses is he talking about? He's talking about everybody that he just mentioned, all of the people who have gone before, all of the people who lived their life by faith, all of the people who died not receiving the promise, but living by faith, all of the people who were tortured, all of the people who gave their life. He says, since, we've, since we're surrounded by such a great, cloud of witnesses what should we do and he says since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses let us hide and whine and complain and let's blame and name call and insult people who see the world differently than we do and let's hoard our resources You know, just in case. And let's blame the cops and blame the president and blame the teachers and blame our families and blame our daddies and blame our mamas and let's blame the media and let's stockpile some ammunition and let's demand our rights and let's build a wall and finally get the rich to pay their fair share and let's play it safe and find somebody to sue and take back our country and pray that Jesus comes back so that we don't have to suffer. Did I get everybody? of seems like you're not taking this seriously Randy truth is I couldn't be more serious can you imagine how we sound to this great cloud of witnesses they're going you're, you're worried about what you're scared of who the guy from the apprentice you're nervous about what a 78 year old man your anxiety-ridden because of who? Because of what? Forget the great cloud of witnesses. Can you imagine how we look and sound to Christians right now in almost any other part of the world? Oof. But listen to what he says. Listen to what he actually says. Hebrews 12.1. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance or perseverance the race that has been marked out for us to run. So here's what he says to us when we're, when we're overwhelmed with anxiety. He, say, he says, what, you know, here's what he says to us when it looks like the world is falling apart, when it looks like crea- Christianity is on the ropes, when, when we're looking around going, you know, what happened when life punches us in the mouth and we're like, where are things going and why can't it be like the old days? Here's, here's what he says to us. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And he's saying, instead of blaming, instead of being critical, instead of being all upset and anxious and nervous, he's going, you just need to look in the mirror because what's really holding you back really What are you really so afraid of, really? Because the darker it gets, the brighter the light shines. The more uncertain things are, the certainty of faith shines brighter. He's going, God has marked out a race for you and for me. And I have to tell you this morning, no matter what happened in your mind this week to our country, nobody can stop you from running the race that God has marked out for you except you, not Donald Trump. Not Joe Biden, not the left, not the right, not the Republicans, not the people counting votes in Nevada. It's going to be 2024 when they're done. No matter how extreme, no matter who won, God's not up in heaven going, oh, shoot, I didn't see that one coming. Now what are they going to do? No, he's, he's got this. He's going, this is your race. I've marked it out for you. The question is, are we up for it? The question is, how are we going to run it? And, and then the, the writer kind of gives us the key to the whole thing. In the next verse, this is what he says in Hebrews twelve two. Fixing our eyes on... You can fill in that blank a lot of ways. Fixing our eyes on Jesus... The pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Fixing our eyes literally means to look away from everything else. That there is nothing else in your vision except for one thing. And he's going, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Can I tell you something? I feel like a whole bunch of us, with the way this election has played out, a whole bunch of people that I know that are Christians, they're great people and they love Jesus, a whole bunch of people have been exposed. That their eyes are fixed on something else besides Jesus. It has become really, really clear that our eyes are fixed somewhere else other than our Savior. We fix our eyes on a political party, on our candidate, instead of on our Savior and our King. We've looked to the economy, or safety, or security, or even our love of country, and I love this country, but none of those, and and none of those things are bad, but as long as our eyes are fixed there, we will never, ever, ever run our race with endurance and perseverance the way that God has called us to run it. The moment things didn't go our way, we all lose our peace and fall to pieces. We all run scared. We all get sucked into political power games and calling people names and how dumb do you have to be and you're a snowflake and you're an idiot and you're... Come on. We'll never be who God created us to be. We'll never fulfill our purpose when our eyes are fixed somewhere else. Jesus and nothing else is our reference point. He's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And then the writer brings it home this way. He says, For the joy set before him, speaking of Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And he says, Consider him, focus on him who endured such opposition from sinners. Why? So that you won't grow weary and lose heart. I have to tell you this this morning. And and it feels weird that I, I feel weird feeling like I even need to say it. But watching, watching the reactions this week, I have to tell you this. Jesus and his movement were not and are not fragile and his followers shouldn't be either. Jesus fearlessly faced down darkness and power and even death. What do we have to be afraid of? I was reading this week about how C.S. Lewis. Talked about all the crimes throughout human history that have been perpetrated by Christianity. where always happened when the church got sucked into trading away grace for power. Chasing political power and political influence. Can you imagine how different the last few days would have played out in our culture, especially on social media, if, social, if Jesus' followers just decided, I'm just going to do what I think Jesus would do. I'm only going to say what I think Jesus would say. I'm going to respond the way that my fearless Savior responded. And the writer says, consider him, consider Jesus, make him your focus so that you don't get weary and lose heart. Now, if you're a little bit older, you're my age, if you're 40-ish and you have kids, or even if you're maybe a little bit younger and you have kids or you have grandkids... The generation that's coming up behind us are going to take their cue from us. And so often the cue that we're giving them is, man, everything hinges on getting the right person elected. Or if we don't fix the economy, it's the end of the world. Or if we don't have religious freedom, like my grandparents had it, it's the end of the world. Or if we don't get the right laws passed, or if we don't have the right policies, it's all going to fall apart and nothing could be further from the truth. Because government matters. There's no doubt about that. Policies matter. They just do. But all of it fails in comparison to men and women who have chosen to live by faith. Who fearlessly live in confidence every day that God is who he says he is. That he keeps his promises. And that nothing and no one can stop the plans of God. And the truth is, when you look at all the data about Christianity in the last decade, you look at all the data about how the younger generations are leaving the church in mass droves, Part of it is this right here. Because they've listened to us, the older generation, say how much faith matters and how important Jesus is. And they've listened and they sat in churches and they've heard the stories and they've heard us talk about it. But then they've watched us go out and, and demean people and call people names and fight people for political power. And they're going, that just doesn't add up. Now, if you're younger, if you're a teenager, if you're college age, if you're a 20-something I just have to tell you, don't grow weary and lose heart. Because once upon a time, there was a group of people that were your age that trusted a resurrected Savior. Don't fix your eyes on social media. Don't fix your eyes on politics. Don't fix your eyes on Washington, D.C. Don't fix your eyes on my generation. Fix them on Jesus. Because there was a time where a group of people changed the world and they were your age. They gave their lives to the resurrected Savior, to his teachings, and their faith and their fearlessness and their selflessness and their confidence and their love and their compassion literally, not figuratively, literally changed the world. Can you imagine, just think about it for just a second, if a small group of us just started living into a faith that produced that kind of of heroic living. It's all right. It's okay to be disappointed. But if you're scared, if you're afraid, your eyes are somewhere they shouldn't be. Because nobody can stop you from running the race that God has marked out for you, except for you. So what does that mean tomorrow? What does that look like in real life? Because tomorrow, life is coming at you. There's school and kids and family and jobs and bills and all the division and all the arguing on social media and you can only hide some people for so long and unfriend so many people and, you know, mute other people. You can only do that so much, right? And I started thinking about all the things I could share and kind of giving you some real practical things and I just thought, I'm going to take you back to, and I'm just going to read you, and we're not even going to show it on the screen, I just want you to listen to it as I read it to you, a portion from... Uh, another, from one of the Apostle Paul's writings to the church in Rome so these were Christians living in the shadow of the empire and this is what he says in Romans chapter 12 beginning with verse 9 he says love must be sincere hate what is evil and cling to what is good Be devoted to one another in love. Honor other people above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual, your spiritual fire. Keep your soul fed. Serve God by serving others. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, Faithful in prayer. That verse 12 is probably one of my favorite verses in all of scriptures. And I have to say, this week, me and a whole bunch of people I know felt and acted and behaved the opposite. No joy, hope is gone, completely impatient, suffering... It's all terrible. He says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Oof, this is where it gets tough. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Can you imagine, just for a second, the exception in this scripture is not unless you're a Republican and your Democratic friends are rejoicing. That's where we're like, all right, that's just too far, Jesus. Like, I cannot rejoice with my Democratic friends today. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is in the right, what is right in the eyes of everyone. Everyone? What? If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone you're like, yeah, I'm at peace with all those people. I unfriended them all. That's not what he's talking about, right? Verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then he puts this exclamation point on it. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's so much, well, you started it and you said and you went low and so I'm gonna, and don't be overcome with all that garbage. Step into conversation, step into the gap, step into the divide and love people. Fearlessly, like you got nothing to lose. So back to my uh, question from the beginning. What's going to be the story that they tell about us? Will it be that we sold out our peace and traded away the power of our message for a few breadcrumbs of political influence? That we placed our trust in a political party or a political candidate or a system of government or an economy, but that we fixed our eyes on Jesus, that we were laser focused on the Messiah. And so we ran the race that God had marked out with us or for us with perseverance and tenacity and strength and fearlessness. That's That's the kind of place I want to be a part of. That's the kind of Jesus follower, I want to be. Let's pray together. God, I'm so overwhelmed because so much of these thoughts cut deep to my soul because they're so convicting. I'm so tempted to place my eyes other places. Lord, it's easy to stand up and say all of this stuff today. But I know tomorrow, real life hits. Tomorrow, God, the division is still there. The angst, the uncertainty, it's all still there. And so my prayer today is that you would speak to each one of us You would help us know what to do with what we've just heard. How to respond to you. God, may the story of our generation be that we embraced a life and a faith that caused us to be unafraid to live heroically To love with our arms wide open. Knowing that we're going to take the shots. We're going to take the hits. But that our savior, our fearless savior. He wasn't trying to run and hide. He rode right into the jaws of death. Knowing what was going to happen. And he gave himself for all of us. So God, would you challenge us? Or we need convicting, would you do that? Would you help us? Would you help us overcome our own brokenness, our own sense of loss, if that's what we're feeling? God, would you help us not, if we're celebrating the events of this week, God, would you help us to realize the responsibility that we have to build bridges, to come together, to love people. And may all of us, regardless of what side we're from or what side we're on, may we focus our eyes on Jesus. May we consider him and nothing else. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.